0: Hey everyone, welcome to WIRE Talks, the WIRE podcast where we discuss all things crypto. So whether you're a veteran or a crypto noob, we're all learning together. This is your host, Thomas Correa. I work here at WIRE. Today I'm joined by Nikhil (laughs) Wyshwanthinen. Sorry, I always mess up uh, last names. Co-founder and CEO of Alchemy Insights. Nikhil, thanks for joining Thanks for having us. Absolutely. And I'm also joined by Joe Lau, that's a much easier one, Uh, (laughs) co-founder and CTO of Alchemy Insights. Joe, welcome to the show. Cool. Hey, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Uh, So elephant in the room, uh, obviously, I I know you guys pretty well. Uh, We've been in the same sort of crypto floor uh, for, you know, uh, I've been here a year or so. So I've gotten to see you guys just multiply like rabbits uh, and just iterate (laughs) on your product. Uh, a couple of times, so it, it's great to finally have you on the show. Uh, before we dive a little bit deeper into exactly what the product is, uh, can you give us an overview of your background, uh, You know, wh- where you grew up, where you went to college, and how you kind of got into crypto? We'll start with Nikhil and then uh, toss it over to Joe.
1: Yeah, so funnily enough, I grew up in this small town in Texas. That was basically the complete opposite of San Francisco. It's actually just there over Thanksgiving, but just Imagine you take San Francisco and invert everything about it. It's a couple hundred thousand people, which is the biggest city for 300 miles, super flat, no buildings over four stories tall. Everyone drives a pickup truck. Everyone's super conservative. Uh, It was a blast. I absolutely loved it. Came to Stanford for my uh, undergrad and master's in computer science with a focus on artificial intelligence. I actually met Joe because we TA'd the database class together at Stanford. Uh, when we were grad students, and we actually, it was funny, because the class that we took, you know, normally if you're TA, you know, the fewer students you have, the less work you have to do, so, you know, if you have a class with 100 students, that's cool, but if you have a class with 20 students, it's even better. We had a class with 150,000 students because it was the first kind of Stanford's online massively uh, massive education thing, which actually the next quarter became Coursera. So, uh, we had a kind of crazy experience that quarter, but then after college, uh, Joe and I worked on building products to make it feel like you lived with your friends. We both had a really fantastic time in college and wanted to recreate that experience for as long as we could and build a bunch of different products. Um, a few of them got really popular. One of them, as I was telling you earlier, <clears throat> ended up being the number one app in the app store and social and the front page of New York Times and like all this other stuff. So uh, it was a really, really uh, good time. And then we got into crypto.
2: Yep. And then Joe? Yeah, so I'm from uh, Washington State, small town called Vancouver. There's actually a Vancouver, BC, which is where everybody thinks I'm from when I say I'm from Vancouver. <laughs> but there's actually a second Vancouver near Portland, Oregon. That's where I went to high school. Um, it's a little different from San Francisco. We only have one trash can there, versus like a recycling and a compost and yeah. a trash can here. <laughs> and then also came to uh, also came to Stanford. But Joe's for dad school.
1: used to live in Lubbock for. That's a true. Bit.
2: That's true. And I was born in Dallas, yeah. so we were pretty close for maybe a period of time. Um, but yeah, so came to Stanford, uh, actually thinking I'd do mechanical engineering. I wanted to build things for people, but then at Stanford, I took, uh, I took computer science courses and I realized if you really want to build things for people, the best way to do that today is software because the internet just lets you instantly distribute the thing that you're building to millions and millions, billions of people really. Uh, so that's super, super exciting. So I ended up doing both my undergrad and my master's in computer science. And then after school, I spent about a year at Pinterest. Um, but then started working, uh, Nikhil and I have been working together for years now, doing a lot of stuff. Um, at first working on, uh, sort of like the, uh, uh, social app for friends and stuff that we were talking about earlier before we got into crypto about a year and a half ago now. Yep. And the
0: social
1: app for friends, uh, what
0: was the, what was the premise of that? And how did that lead <clears throat> into the, the
1: crypto? Yeah. So it was pretty interesting. Uh, Joe and I had built a bunch of different apps by this time. We'd tried like, you like eight ish mm-hmm. around that time. Um. And what happened was we had moved to San Francisco, and it was honestly just like really difficult to see who was around and who was free to hang out. So, one, Sunday, we were like, oh, dude, what if we could just press a button and it would automatically text our friends and see who's around and who would want to hang out with us? Uh, Because we had these two guys, Mateen and Ravi, who we'd always see walking to lunch and we would say, hey, we should hang out, we should hang out. But then like six months later, we'd never hung out because we're working all the time. So we literally thought no one in the world would use this except us, Mateen and Ravi, and then one other friend, Jason, who was like worked in our office. So we literally posted this app. It wasn't even on the app store. It was just like on our Facebook page. You had to download it through that. And then within 24 hours, people around the world were using it. And then it just, like, shot to number one. It was this kind of crazy story. So we're doing that for um, a really long time. And we had built, like, a couple other versions of that. And it was going pretty well. Um, and last, about a year, a little more than a year and a half ago, almost, yeah, about a year and nine months ago, we had... <clears throat> We'd always seen crypto for a long time. So actually, uh, we lived and worked in the same apartment that Michael Dunworth, the founder of Wire, uh, and Yanni. So those guys were actually starting Wire out of that that uh, apartment. And we were in the same one. We had to meet on the third floor and they were on the first floor. And, you know, we'd play like beer pong together and stuff. And it we had, we, we had seen crypto for a long time. And Mike and Yanni were always like, crypto, crypto, crypto. And we were like, oh, this is cool. But we're really focused on what we're doing. And I think as we saw wave after wave of kind of new excitement around the technology there was a kind of a turning point for us last summer where we realized oh wow it was shifting from just being like a virtual currency to a developer platform and that's what really got us excited because then we saw the potential for it to have kind of personal computer or internet scale impact because it lets you create new things that weren't possible before.
2: I think one thing we also saw was we saw a lot of smart friends and other engineers and builders and makers in the community that we knew jump into the space and to to us, that's always a leading indicator of where a lot of technological progress happens. So that was really, really exciting to see, too.
0: Yep, and the origin story uh, for Alchemy. So you you had basically sold or exited this last app that you were working on. You saw crypto as this new haven for talent and. Uh, also just ideation and, and just a blooming kind of field. When did you come together and and decide, hey, we're going to work on this thing called Alchemy Insights and this is product A that we're going to ship? And what was yeah. product
1: uh, A? It's a great question. Joe, you want to take this one?
2: Yeah. So uh, basically what happened is um, last summer we saw a bunch of, uh, or not, I guess it's two summers ago mm-hmm. now, but summer of 2017 we saw basically a ton of like ICOs and new coins happening and Basically, we built some of our own analytics tools to understand what was going on in the market and to basically model supply and demand for these different ICOs, like how many people wanted to buy, how many, how many, you know, how did past ICOs do with similar structures? So we were doing this and then we actually had a lot of friends tell us, uh, friends and investors tell us, hey, you should take some of these tools that you built and actually go talk to, you know, like crypto hedge funds that invest primarily in the space. And our first thought was actually like, hey, you know what? These guys manage hundreds of millions of dollars. They have to have tons of really sophisticated tools and you know uh, data products to help them. But it turns out because the space is so new and because actually a bunch of these crypto hedge funds are so new, uh, nobody really had anything. So we saw an opportunity to basically build a lot of uh, tooling around like understanding what's going on in the ecosystem, looking at the blockchain from a data first approach and really helping funds understand what's going on in the blockchain and power investment decisions with data. So that was basically the start of how we did it, and since then we've been building a lot of different uh a lot of different tools and in, basically intelligence products for uh crypto hedge funds and also now financial institutions with crypto departments that are coming into the space yep uh definitely,
0: I think like uh traditional hedge fund players definitely have an access to uh, tons of tools that they can use. those tools just don't. Fit directly into the crypto box, mm-hmm. so it's I could see the opportunities set. Uh, what were the first couple uh, analytic kind of products that you shipped to those crypto funds? And and I don't know if you can disclose like who were your first couple uh, clients and how did you uh, work together to like iterate on different products that you can build in the hedge fund analytics industry?
1: Um, yeah, so we actually unfortunately can't disclose clients, but we work with basically all the largest funds. Um, the kind of unique angle which we took was rather than, hey, let's go build a product and try to sell it to people was we said, hey, you know, we had a bunch of customers who wanted to work with us in the beginning. And we said, we're only going to take a few, we're going to take like a bunch of the top people and we're going to build exactly to their use case. So it was less of us kind of saying, hey, you know, we'll build this and try to sell it to you and more of us let's sit weekly let's understand your processes and let's build stuff that helps you accelerate that and provide the insights that you need so in that sense all of our tools and analytics were very custom tailored to the our initial funds and then as we grew we started opening that up to more people
0: so it's really like an external data analytics department that perhaps the hedge funds didn't think to uh, you know have in-house but then you you just you just brought that capability to them on a silver platter and then now uh, you've iterated on their products uh, several times and and uh, you know definitely a household kind of tool that they have to use at this point
1: yeah it's kind of this basic it's this really interesting thing because it's very symbiotic relationship where they get custom t- uh, tooling for exactly their needs um, and we, as a company, get to build a platform that is really, really useful to people broadly and in, in, in this very targeted segment, right? The the crypto hedge fund industry. So, and, and the reason that we're able to build a product that people really love is because we took that approach of really understanding their use case and building it with them hand in hand.
0: Mm-hmm. So in your seat, you probably get to talk to so many different flavors of uh, of hedge funds and I suppose traders and uh, what other what other kind of clients do you have outside of the hedge fund and yeah. trading space?
1: Um, yeah, so we work with a pretty broad set of different large financial institutions. So this goes from everything from, uh, obviously, crypto hedge funds. So crypto hedge funds also have multiple different types of crypto hedge funds. So uh, kind of like a quick overview of the few different types. So one is like, the high-frequency trading, um, right? And this is these are basically like analogs from the traditional finance and equities world brought into crypto. So kind of the spread is tr- hedge fund, uh, high-frequency trading, and then there's algorithmic trading, which is kind of more on a multi times a day uh, or multiple times a week timescale. And then there's your typical like macro traders. And then there's traders who are based on kind of insider info, right? Hey, I heard... Coinbase is listing XYZ, let's buy this or let's sell this. And then there, there's your venture style investors in crypto. So that's kind of like the big broad spectrum. We do serve all of those. In addition, we serve a few other players in the space, such as we have analytics tools for large token projects. We also have analytics platforms uh, for exchanges um, and also kind of what you would tra- think as the traditional finance powerhouses, like a lot of, a lot of large banks and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, I, l- I like how you uh, laid that out. I think uh, whenever people think about a crypto fund, they think everyone has the same kind of strategy. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's very much in that spectrum, like you said, where you have on uh, maybe on the right hand you have a venture funds yeah, uh, who might just be investing in tokens, but they're very much like a VC fund. Mm-hmm. Uh, then in between you might have like a long short fund who has a illiquid long portfolio of SAFs and safes and ICOs and <laughs> Uh, whatnot and then they have a short book uh, to to maintain that exposure is market neutral so they can actually survive some sort of bear downturn like this and then on the other side of the spectrum you have traders who could be executing the same strategy on like jet fuel markets or yeah. gold markets mm-hmm. and it's purely a data play with completely agnostic to which asset class you're in um, exactly. in in that spectrum in you know in your seat you get to see all of them and provide tools to all those different players uh, which ones have kind of fared uh, better in this down market?
1: Yeah, it's it's really interesting because it I think actually the, the kind of really interesting perspective is, is if you look at who were the early people who started crypto hedge funds, so uh, let's call it March 2017, there was, what, like three crypto hedge funds total? And then a year later, there's like 300. So you see all this like Cambrian explosion of all these new types of crypto hedge funds. And typically what the evolution has been is mostly it's been in kind of this BC. Uh, technology-based investment because a lot of the crypto hedge funds were people who made money in crypto early, believed in crypto. They weren't like big traders. They were people who were in the technology um, and maybe bought Bitcoin early or bought Ethereum early. So as a result, the type of investments that they make are more of being super plugged in, seeing deals early, kind of this venture-style investment. Um, and as that trend is shifted, and I think this will al- we'll also see an acceleration of this over the next 12 months when you see kind of the large financial institutions Start getting into this. Basically, they're just gated on regulation right now, and kind of the perception of their client base um, to how. So, like if a uh, just as a generic example, um, like a Goldman Sachs, right? Like the two things that are stopping them, or two things that kind of moderate how they get into crypto is one regulation. Two is like how their clients like perceive and um, basically. Uh, how, how they kind of the services that they want. So the, the bigger point is that as we move further and further and this industry gets more uh, mature, you'll, we'll see a lot of like a lot of traders who are big uh, kind of experts in the equities equity space move over and start doing that kind of trading in the crypto space. So basically high level you've seen this transition of like very much VC focused trading, sorry very much VC focused investing to more of like a typical hedge fund. Uh, trader, both algorithmic and macro. Yep,
0: I think you mentioned that you were focusing on very high-end uh, crypto funds. So perhaps you may not have the answer to this, but uh, we always hear the rumors that crypto funds are slowly shutting down. The lower, the ones with the smaller AUMs that may not be able to collect fees in this kind of environment, or who have just taken a huge knock on their portfolio performance. Have you witnessed any clients just like go go bust over the last?
1: Uh- We're not probably the right people to answer that. I none of our clients have, but they're also the much, much, much larger ones. Yeah. So I don't have any data on that.
0: Yeah. So when you start putting together uh, a product like this, how do you think about hiring? Uh, Who Who do you hire first? Uh, It it sounds like you need a sea of data scientists and engineers to start off with.
2: Yeah. So it it turns out actually. So you're totally right. Like there are definitely things that we need sort of like data science, machine learning type uh, expertise for, but actually. Uh, for the stuff that we're building right now a large part of it is actually just uh, just sort of sophisticated engineering because at the end of the day what we're doing if you think about what a lot of what we're doing basically if you look at traditional equities you have analysts that basically look at companies and try and figure out how that company's doing try and understand you know how that company works when you look at the blockchain industry and investing in blockchain now what you're actually looking at is you need engineers to go and uh, interact with these blockchains, understand what's going on uh, on these blockchains, and basically like understand the characteristics of, of of those blockchains it's almost analogous to understanding a company so when we're doing that, actually a lot of what we do we do do a bunch of data science we do have, uh, we do, do a bunch of machine learning, but a lot of it is actually like a lot of it is just standard like uh, being able to run uh, being able to run sort of like scalable distributed systems being able to process a lot of data. We do a bunch of big data processing, so each of the blockchains, like Bitcoin and Ethereum themselves are hundreds of gigabytes of terabytes of data, depending on how you normalize the data or denormalize the data. Um, So just like we have to build a lot of really sophisticated infrastructure to be able to process that data, and that's actually where we spend a lot of our time. Uh, In addition to obviously like we do a bunch of machine learning uh, on the back end to be able to make sense of all this data.
1: Yeah, and in order to do all of that, like we've been super lucky to have like uh pretty like, Joe and I feel very fortunate to be able to work with our team. It's like all like the top guys from MIT and Stanford who have had tons of experience. So, uh Joe and I both went to Stanford for 6 years undergrad and grad. We both TA'd six courses at Stanford to we haven't announced publicly, but like two of the uh, professors are investors. One was in my freshman dorm, one was one of my roommates in college, and the president of Stanford was our investor. So basically we have this like funnel of all of the top engineers in the company and every single person in our company, uh, except for one, is an engineer. So we've been very, 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 we don't have marketing, we don't have PR, we don't have biz dev, we don't have any of that stuff. We don't have a sales team, Uh, we just focus on building a really good product.
0: Yep. Um, So, Speaking of building really good product, I think you've sort of iterated on the hedge fund platform and moved into a whole different uh, use case, which is a developer platform targeting uh, devs on Ethereum and dApps that are looking to launch on Ethereum. Um, Can you give us a high level overview of what is dubbed the Alchemy Dev Platform?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So basically, um, we have two main business units in the company, and this kind of ties into the longer term vision, which is that When you look at the trends in technology, when you look at the big shifts over the last, like, 50 years, there's kind of three main ones, right? So the first one was a personal computer, uh, and the next one is a web, and then it looks like blockchain could be this third shift, right? And that was what originally got us really excited. So when you look at the personal computer, you see this, you see, like, a very similar pattern in all of these different um, te- technological revolutions. So at the fundamental layer, uh, it's kind of hard to visualize this without a diagram, but think of, when you look at the personal computer, th- the personal computer at the very beginning was essentially a bunch of hardware, right? It was RAM, chips, motherboard. It was just this, this fancy like hardware that in the beginning was just a terminal. You couldn't really do much on it, right? And what made it really popular to the average person was having consumer applications like Word, Excel, Chrome, Internet Explorer, like these kind of things, right? But in order to build that um, those applications, writing that code for the hardware is very, very difficult to do. So there's this abstraction layer in between called the operating system that uh, Windows or Mac that made that very easy to do, right? And that was kind of the key innovation that unlocked all the developer potential which let consumers and consumers use that. So. In the web, you see a very similar thing. You have these underlying protocols like HTTP, FTP, these different things that make the web run. And at the high level, you have applications like Google and Facebook and YouTube, which are kind of like staples of our modern day life. But in order to make that happen, there was one key innovation, which was the web browser. The web browser allowed you to easily write applications that took advantage of the underlying hardware, or in this case, the underlying protocols. And in the blockchain world, we see a very similar thing, right? It's a little more complicated because you have a multi-tiered uh, operating system layer. So you have Bitcoin, you have Ethereum, which do have their own dApps, right? But uh, kind of like stepping back from one level of abstraction, you see still the same thing. You have these fundamental like chains, and then at the end, you want to make people, help people build applications really easily, but right now, developing applications is very difficult for the blockchain. So we have kind of the big picture goal was always we want to make that process completely, completely easy um, and kind of bring that to the level of, of be where developers can just make a web. Like it's very easy to make a website or relatively much easier to make a website or an iPhone app. And we want to help blockchain get to that um, get to that level. So what we're doing is we have our hedge fund platform, which has like a bunch of technology. We've had... Uh, people try to acquire us for that technology. And what the reason we are opening that up is because we want to. So, the first product is hedge fund. The second product is a developer platform, as you alluded to. And what the purpose of that is taking all the technology we built in house for the hedge fund product and opening that up to the rest of the world so they can use that to build on top of and build their own applications. Mm-hmm. And uh,
2: yeah, anything sorry. to add, Joe? Yep. Yeah, I, th- I think that's right. And I think one uh one reason this so while we're building Mm -hmm. the hedge fund application we basically built a ton of node infrastructure and that's kind of what we're we're releasing as our first product but like when you build a financial services you know platform it has to be reliable has to be scalable has to be fast Um, you have to have good support for that and one thing we saw was like we built a bunch of our own reliable infrastructure in-house But talking to other people in the community like other DApps, other uh people building projects even other companies that sort of like interact with the blockchain in some way we saw that basically everybody had a need for this kind of blockchain infrastructure but very few companies had the you know the engineering resources or the time or even the expertise to be able to build out this infrastructure um and so there's sort of like we saw a lot of uh a lot of projects and companies kind of struggling to like be running their own nodes or like trying to use some alternative And we just felt like there's such a huge need in the market to be able to empower and enable people to better build applications on blockchain than what they're able to do today. So that's why we're opening up this developer platform. The goal is to make it much, much easier to build on blockchain than it is today.
0: So the common denominator here between the hedge fund platform and the uh, Alchemy Dev platform is really the infrastructure that you've built out in in either of these, uh, uh, you know, both of these verticals. Um, what, specifically, what, what are the commonalities? I, I think you mentioned... Uh, what,
1: yeah, yeah, what exactly yeah, and I, I think it, maybe it makes sense, Joe, if you want to talk about what the first product that we're yeah, releasing yeah, is. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yep. So I think, I think like to, to give a more concrete example, uh, the very first thing that we're, we're releasing is basically a... Uh, or I guess backing up a little bit. So every company or project or application that interacts with, let's say, the Ethereum blockchain, which is the, the, very, first, uh, the very first product that we're working on, Every blockchain company or project needs an Ethereum node or they need some way to interact with, uh, they need some way to interact with the Ethereum blockchain. So for us, when we were building our hedge fund product, we also needed a way to interact with the Ethereum blockchain and this meant for us running our own nodes. But the nodes themselves are super hard to run. So like they have very high hardware requirements. It takes a lot of engineering and DevOps hours. They go down all the time. They fall behind all the time. They You know like all these issues when you migrate them when you upgrade them all all sorts of issues pop up uh so the nodes themselves are really really hard to run and there are a couple other alternatives out there uh like Infura, which have their uh have have their have their own shortcomings but what we realized was if we wanted to build our application and build it well we would have to actually build a ton of really reliable scalable node infrastructure so what we do what we did for the hedge fund product is we uh, spun up a bunch of nodes, we have a bunch of infrastructure on top of those nodes to handle uh, more or less at a high level like data queries that nodes can't handle or can't serve reliably. I think one thing to realize is, uh, this is getting a little more technical, but basically Ethereum nodes uh, are not production pieces of infrastructure. They're not meant to serve, serve data, they're not databases really. They're peer-to-peer clients that basically sync your copy of the blockchain with the rest of the network and make sure you have the same copy of the blockchain as the rest of the network does. So what we realized is, like, in addition to running these nodes and having a lot of uh, having a lot of instrumentation to make sure nodes are always up and in sync and stuff like that, we also have a bunch of secondary infrastructure that we use. So uh, just sort of your standard. Uh, uh, you know, like scalable infrastructure that is used in traditional software engineering, so relational databases, time series databases. Uh, we have basically a bunch of stuff that we use to index, store, and service data uh, off of, um, that way we're not serving data directly off of the nodes themselves, but we're also serving data off of infrastructure that's sort of faster, reliable, and kind of been battle-tested in industry for for those purposes. Um, and so what we're doing is like now we're opening up that layer as an infrastructure platform for uh, for blockchain applications.
0: Yeah, I want to un- unpack that a little bit. I think a lot of our listeners are pretty uh, they're they're devs, right? So they mm-hmm. can't they do speak this language. Uh, so scalable uh, databases, relational databases, some way to index store uh, the data. What exactly are you using uh, there?
2: Yeah, yeah. So the, so we basically use a bunch of a uh, bunch of different technologies. I think like. For for example, like one example I think is um, when you fetch uh, when you fetch transaction data or when you fetch block data, that stuff comes off of a node but that's actually uh, that's actually a perfect use case for let's say like a key value store and sort of uh, you know if you were working at like a Facebook or a Google, what you'd be using to serve that kind of data is a key value store so one example of the stuff that we do in-house is we uh, we have our ethereum node and those, the theorem nodes serve a bunch of different queries, but for some of those queries where you might better serve them with other infrastructure, let's say for like a get block or a get transaction receipt or something like that, we'll actually pull that data off the node, store it in a secondary key value store, and then whenever our API gets a call for something like that, we actually route that to our secondary infrastructure instead of to the nodes themselves. And the secondary infrastructure, uh, basically like your standard key values, like Dynamo and stuff like that, basically serves that stuff much faster and much more reliably than the node basically will ever be able to. And that's not a shortcoming of the node. It's just that's not what the node was designed for.
0: Yeah, I do have a few questions uh, regarding that, and like how centralized is that exactly versus running your own node? Is that all done in a distributed manner? And is there a degree of centralization that takes place to get that kind of scale rather than someone that's running their own node?
1: Yeah. Um, Also uh, just backing up a little bit, I just want to make sure if we have any uh, non-technical listeners (laughs) that we explain kind of like at a high level, what the product is and what it does. Um, So when you build an application, call it, a Coinbase or a CoinMarketCap or, or DApp or whatever it is, right? There are some standard pieces of engineering infrastructure that you need, right? So when you're building, let's say you're building, um, I don't know, like Fortnite, right? Let's say you're building the game, has nothing to do with crypto, right? There's a couple things that you need, right? You need a backend uh, server that will basically, if a user starts playing the game, they will talk to that computer and that computer will kind of Uh, basically interact with them and let them play the game. And then you need something called a database, which lets people store data. So like if I save my game or I want to um, basically like fight someone, like all that information is stored in this thing called a database. So when you develop a website or an iPhone app, those are the two standard pieces of infrastructure that you need, a web server and a database. Whenever you do a blockchain application, you need both of those two things, but there's one other thing you need, and, and that thing's the same for every single person. And that's you need to have access to the blockchain. Let's call it Ethereum, right? Let's say you're building a wallet, like a Coinbase type thing. You need to say, if, if I'm like, hey Thomas, I wanna sell you or I wanna transfer you five Ethereum. Right? I need to have some way to talk to the blockchain and, the, and to tell the blockchain to transfer that money to you. And the way that you do that is by running this thing called a node. And what the node is, is basically the Ethereum software that's running on a computer that um, is always running that you can talk to. And whenever you talk to that, it will record uh, whatever interaction you want with the blockchain. It'll make that happen. So... Um, and I hope, hope that was kind of like, uh, that was still kind of technical, but hopefully that was uh, a, little, a little easier to understand. But so the, the challenge is, so there's some interesting things. So number one, every single person who writes any application to deal with the blockchain has to run uh, a node. Right? The second thing is it's not as simple as, hey, I'm just running this node. right? If you're running a web server or you're running a database server, these things have been battle tested for, what, I don't know, 20 years? Mm-hmm. And there's, there's standard things that just work really well, they're really reliable, they're really easy to use, um, and it's not that intensive to do. You can spin up a web server. But even given that, there's a lot of services like Amazon Web Services and Heroku that make all this stuff really easy, right? And for running a node, it's very, very difficult to do because one, they go down all the time. They take a lot of storage. They're really expensive to run. Um, they they sometimes don't update correctly. And it's not just one. You need to run multiple. Let's say you're running at minimum. Let's say you're testing on two test nets. So Rinkeby and um, Robston. so you need to run two testnet nodes. Then at minimum, you need to run two nodes uh, on two mainnet nodes, because so if you have a backup, if one fails, because it takes about two to three weeks to sync the whole node, so, right, So at minimum, even if your application doesn't have much traffic, you're running like four nodes. So that's already like, and each of these are several hundred dollars to run, and then you have to have an engineer to manage all this stuff, and it's just complete pain in the ass, right? So, so basically, the idea was we noticed that, hey, <clears throat> all this stuff is very similar everyone's doing the exact same thing can we just do that for people and make it easier to do and and again like Joe was saying like this is just the first product we have a whole suite of products lined up after this um, and th- basically the way to think about it is back in the day when you wanted to um, so uh, When you wanted to build now a website, right? Let's say you're building Facebook or Hot or Not or whatever it was back in the day, in the early 2000s, you had to go physically buy a computer and you would put it in your office, and that computer would be the thing that all your users would connect to. And you had to make sure that was always up and running, right? Then it said, then you said, okay, let's go put it in a warehouse where someone will manage it for me and make sure that the light power doesn't go out, the internet always works, right? And then the next evolution of that was. Um, some compu- some company, uh, call it Rackspace or something, would buy the computers for you and run the computers for you so you didn't have to deal with it, right? And then the next evolution of that was AWS, which based Amazon Web Services, which what they do is they say, you know what, forget about this whole computer business. You just want to be able to run an application, we'll handle the rest of it for you. So, sorry, that's actually two steps. First, Amazon said, we'll give you these virtual computers so you don't even need to worry about upgrades and all that stuff. Then they said, oh, you know what, you don't even need to worry about the concept of a computer. Just just run your application and then use as much as you need and we'll charge you for it. So, in a very similar way, what our goal is, is to be the AWS for the blockchain. And we want to make development really, really easy. And all the stuff that people typically consider DevOps, DevOps means things like making sure your servers are running, making sure that you know, the internet's on, making sure that your users can fundamentally access your application. That is stuff that is not any company's core business. And it's a very expensive and it takes very like specific knowledge to do that. And our goal is to basically eliminate that for everyone and do it in a way that's way cheaper for them than if they're running it themselves.
0: Okay. Uh, Thank you for that (laughs) That great explanation. No, that was really, really good. Um, So who are you going up uh, head-to-head with? You're going up head-to-head with people that want to spin up their own nodes, do this all in-house, then uh, Infura obviously is in market with something uh, similar. Uh, And then I guess Get and Parity, which uh, I don't have the best understanding of, but I, I believe it's an implementation of Ethereum's, uh, it's the same thing as spinning up your own uh, nodes, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, can you walk through the options that people have out there yeah. and uh, how it's different from what you're offering?
2: Sure. Yeah. So, uh, so I think first of all, there, there are really only two choices that you have. So the first is you can run your own node. And then the second is you can use, let's call it like a third, uh, third party service provider like Infura. Um, so, and then Geth and Parity are basically types of nodes that you can run. So, if I were to go and s- spin up an Ethereum node, uh, I mean, which we have done in the past, basically I would spin up either like a Parity node or a Geth node. And there are other companies that are working on their own implementations that you can work on that you can use now too. But uh, primarily it's Geth and Parity today for Ethereum. So, talking about the two different options, the first is running your own node. And uh, there are a lot of issues basically with running your own node. I think like the nice thing is you have it in house, but like we were saying earlier it takes a lot of engineering time, it takes a lot of devops time like you have to manage this own instance, you have to install it, you have to always be watching for security upgrades, you have to be upgrading it here and there. There are like db migrations inside the node that are basically a pain to work on. They f- go out of sync all the time, they go down all the time because the software uh, the software is still pretty new and it hasn't, hasn't basically been hardened over many years like a lot of other software that we're used to today. Um, they fall out of sync all the time. You're always having to upgrade the hardware. So Ethereum today, we just upgraded our parity nodes with, uh, our archival parity nodes with, stack, uh, with tracing. Those guys take over two terabytes of hard drive space now, so that's not something that you're going to be running on your laptop and that's something that you have to basically keep watching. So it takes basically a lot of time and energy, and of course the cost, like Nikhil mentioned. It's pretty expensive, both in terms of money and, again, in terms of engineering time to be running your own nodes. But that is one option that you have. Uh, and then another option that you have is to use something like uh, someone else who more or less provides the same functionality as a node for you so that you don't have to run your own node. So sort of the, the uh, one I think a lot of people use today is Infira. Um, and Infira more or less is, I think it's a, it's a consensus backed company and they basically run a bunch of nodes on the back end so that anybody can basically connect to their nodes through like a web API. Mm-hmm. Um, and Infira I think uh, is a uh, is like a, I think it's been really good for the community to have that there. I think one thing that we've seen from talking to other people in the community is Infira is very good for uh, if you're building like, if you're a hobbyist or you're building something for fun or you're kind of hacking around. Um, or you're at a hackathon, it works pretty well. But if you're, you know, if you're like a real company, if you have real users, if you have production traffic, if you need any sort of uptime or reliability or scalability, uh, it turns out Infure actually isn't isn't, isn't built for that as well. And so that's where, uh, that's really where we come in is like for our own hedge fund platform, we're building a financial services product. We needed a lot of reliability and we needed speed and we needed scalability. So we had to go and build out our own system for that. And then what we're seeing now is a lot of developers have those same needs. Um, so inferior is just really not meeting those needs for developers. And that's where we're coming in and basically wanting to, uh, wanting to serve that need with a, uh, with an emphasis on basically reliability and scalability and speed. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Yeah. And just to add, add on one more thing, just to what Joe was saying, Um, basically We manage, uh, I can't say exact number, but it's like billions of dollars. Our hedge fund clients manage like billions of dollars. So like our stuff has to be up. Like if it's not up, like it's not like, oh, I can't buy my Crypto Kitty. It's like. No offense to think they're awesome. Um, <laughs> but it's like people lose a lot of real money. So that's yeah. kind of a big thing for us. So we have to have a really bulletproof system. Like one of our engineers, when he was an intern, he was a sophomore in college. He made all Twitter searches faster by 20% in one month by himself, right? So it's like these are the types of people we've been able to hire to like build this out. Um, and the reason that a lot of people are switching over to us is... Again, like Joe said, Infure is great if you're doing a hackathon, but if you want something that's always up, that's super reliable and actually works consistently, then you need kind of an enterprise-grade solution, and that's what we're offering to the market. And to give you to give you a metric, I can't say who this is, but one of our customers told us they to s- spin up their own node service, they spent $150,000, and then they pay $8,000 a month in server fees, and then they pay more in um, kind of engineering fees, and they built that and they're like, we don't want to deal with this, and then they're switching over to us.
0: Mm-hmm. I think the key difference here is that Infura is pretty much like a node farm mm-hmm. with no other technology that's uh, on their stack, and then but but for you guys, there's a bunch of other additional technology that you're using, and that's how you're able to deliver this at a much more uh, fast uh, capability. Um, how much faster is it than Infura, and is yeah. it is it cheaper? I, I guess not because you're yeah. you're targeting not like the hacky devs, but more an enterprise uh, client, mm-hmm. right?
1: Yeah, so uh, I think I think one thing to understand, like we're we're targeting a different market, right? And Fira's whole goal is like they want to make, uh, like anyone access Ethereum, which is actually really awesome, right? And I think for if again, if you're doing a hackathon or anything like that, it's a fantastic product to use. It's just really simple. It's a, you can get it working fast. The thing that we really uh, the thing that we really do is we provide a product that is super high reliability and that will always work and will be really fast in, in quantifying the faster. Customers are told us we're about 20x faster right now than inferior. Th- those are benchmarks that they've run. One of them, example, had a script that took 20 minutes. Another one had a script that took 20 days. Uh, and for us, it's like one minute and one day, respectively. Um, but I think the, the, the difference in service is really um, we want to provide something that your application, because at the end of the day, it's like this is like a kind of scary proposition, right? You're trusting the entire life of your company to a service, right? And if it's going down a couple times a month and the support isn't responding and it's really slow and we've actually had multiple people tell us that has actually t- given them incorrect data multiple times, which is really scary because you don't even know until the user's like, hey, I used to have 100 bucks in my wallet, now it says I have 50, like what the hell's going on, right? So we are providing a service that will handle all of that right? And will be really, really great. We actually don't offer a hobby product. We don't offer hackathon product uh, and kind of like the stuff that Infure is doing. We only have enterprise grade. I have to have this working 24 seven, no matter what. I mean, we give our customers that kind of guarantees. Like, you know, they, they, we have very like premium support. They talk directly to our engineering team. They can, uh, and we do kind of like special things to make sure they have a really good experience. So I understand
0: that the DAP, partner will be able to run their uh, application with much greater speed uh, using your enterprise level node service, is that speed uh, passed on to the user? Will an end user be running at a, you know, be able to execute trades on like Radar Relay more quickly or buy a Crypto Kitty uh, more quickly? Is, the, is that whole experience uh, passed on to the user as well that's running on your nodes?
2: Yep, yep. So in a lot of cases it, it is. Like in cases like those, the user's interaction with the Ethereum blockchain, if it goes through our platform, they get that same speed up that developers get when they build on top of our platform.
0: So you've, you've had the, you have the Node product, uh, which is just the first product that you hope to release on the Alchemy dev platform. Uh, what's, what's next on the list for you guys?
2: Yeah, yeah so I think we have, uh, we have a lot planned. Um, the basic, the, the core of what we're trying to do is we're trying to understand what developers are doing in blockchain development today. And then we're asking ourselves how we can make that easier. So a couple of the immediate short-term things that we're looking at is actually we're looking at making um, certain types of Ethereum, uh, certain types of Ethereum queries easier. So one thing, for example, is if you, let's say you're building a uh, portfolio tracker or like a wallet and you want to check the balances of, you want to check the balances of someone's tokens in an address today if you're uh if you're interacting with the ethereum json rpc uh api what you have to do is you have to make one call per token that you're checking because each token is managed by a different smart contract so you have to make one call to each of those smart contracts to check the uh, balance of an address in that smart contract and an example of what we'd want to do is like that's really cumbersome it takes a long time it's not it's not how you do it in sort of like traditional software engineering. So what we would do is we'd release an API that lets you make uh, one call and get all the balances for an address. Because that's just, it's just how you think about it. Um, it's just how you'd expect a system like that to work. So we have examples of uh, APIs. We, we call them sort of like richer or second level APIs that are meant to help the developer develop faster. Uh, and then we have a, we have a long roadmap map uh, after that that we're starting to look at like other chains that developers for, are looking at, for example.
0: Mm -hmm. For a company that's listening to this podcast, how would they get in touch with you to uh, perhaps run a note or get on like the waitlist for the next iteration of products?
1: Yeah. um, So we have a pretty long waitlist right now. Uh, So the website is alchemyapi.io. Alchemy like alchemy and then uh, api.io. So you can sign up there for the waitlist. Um, if you email Joe, i to <laughs> his email address out. <laughs> right, um, if right. you email Joe and mention this podcast, we'll uh, give you a friends of Thomas pass and bump you up in line. So Joe's email is Joe J O E at AlchemyInsights.io, and I think we'll have a link in the podcast. So this can- is going to be the only time where being a friend of Thomas is going to be useful. <laughs> 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 so,
0: uh, so you have the hedge fund uh, platform. And then now you have the Alchemy dev platform. How do you uh, manage two lines of business within an emerging startup? Are you, is everyone focused on, uh, I mean, do you split the company where you have one one section focused on one vertical and the other focused on another? Or is everyone just kind of, uh, you know, managing both pieces of that puzzle?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, and the answer is that it's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh the Hedge Fund product is a lot more mature and um, it's kind of just, it's it's on a good trajectory right now. So we do, we have part of our team work on that. Um, and then a lot of our team, it's interesting because the, again, it's the same infrastructure that we're using for this. So we're just basically taking that infrastructure, opening it up, kind of, we have to build it in a way that people can access it easily. So that does take a lot of time and effort, but it's stuff that we have a lot of expertise in. So it's not something that we're just trying to like, Figure out from scratch. It's we've done this for a really long time. We've really, really gone deep in the tech. And uh, one of the people who wanted to buy us was a large company, and they wanted us to replace their whole data processing infrastructure. Um, so it's like we've done this for a really long time, and it's something that it is difficult to split time, but it's something that uh, it's kind of very complementary to both products. Yep.
0: And one question I forgot to sort of ask when we're going over the hedge fund platform is uh well i'm i'm a user myself so i've i have kind of an overview of of the different modules in there i think it's pretty obvious stuff right so you probably have like you do have a dex tracker in there and then you may have something for stable coins um i know like mining a uh, generalized mining is a very hot uh, topic right now just crypto funds trying to get yield on uh assets that they're just holding for a while right. or bootstrapping their initial network is there is there a suite of Uh, or module coming out for that. And after that, uh, are are there any like hot other modules that I may have missed uh, in the hedge fund platform?
1: Yeah, uh, we have a bunch of stuff that is coming out soon. Um, uh, We're typically pretty quiet about what we have in the hedge fund product, but uh, one of the really exciting things that we have is we're making all of our data So we have data that like no one else in the world has so we have making our all of our data really really easily accessible So what the couple of the things that we're doing is we're revamping our API and making it so that anybody even a non-technical person Can easily access any piece of data and the second thing uh, which we're doing is we're building native Excel integrations. So kind of like Bloomberg terminal has if you're a finance guy You no longer need to learn how crypto works or coding works or API's work You just have like Excel integrations that will pull data straight from our, our kind of massive distributed processing system. And to you, it just looks like you're using Bloomberg Terminal and you put that data in your spreadsheets. Bloomberg is absolutely my favorite product on earth. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to, to be completely honest, Strong when I was at... Hashtag, <laughs> hashtag, I was going <laughs> to say hashtag Silicon Valley, but it's more like hashtag New York City Finance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I was in finance,
0: I was just so obsessed with the the Terminal. Uh just was on there for hours. And they just have so many different modules on there, yeah. y- you can just find out the minutia of any data. Like if you're looking at oil exports coming out of Russia in 1920, like yeah. y- you can get dive into that number and you know regress it to a model to uh, 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 trade oil or, or something that you can also execute with a Bloomberg API. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Um, did you gather any sort of uh, inspiration from the traditional uh, data
1: analytics uh, space like Bloomberg or, or FaxApp? Yeah, um, the answer is uh, we've tried to learn from them, but the answer is honestly not much because we were nerds and engineers, like we were not suave like Wall Street finance guys, <laughs> so we had never used a Bloomberg terminal, never even seen what it looked like until one of our friends showed us. Uh, we came at it more from the data analysis, data visualization, so uh, we did a bunch of like data visualization, data analysis, data mining, uh, big data set stuff at Stanford, so that was where the, the kind of um, intuition came from. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I wish I had known about a Bloomberg Terminal more, but unfortunately, <laughs> that wasn't the case. It's not an easy thing to find out about. It, it costs yeah. you like
0: 60k to even sit in front of one. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, the the security that they have to access is, is ridiculous. You <laughs> literally need to like scan uh, uh, an iris or a thumbprint oh, really? or something. That's uh, anyways, uh, so as Alchemy is kind of growing, you said that you uh, only have engineers uh, right now and data scientists. Obviously, you do need salespeople to grow a sales-oriented kind of organization. Um, What's the plan? Do you convert some of the engineers to sales engineers? Are you doing most of the biz dev kind of stuff uh, in-house? And uh, after you do hit some critical scale, like who are those kind of crucial hires that you need to make next?
1: Yeah. uh, Uh, Okay, cool. So basically, great question. Um, And I think the answer is... any companies that uh, we are just figuring it out, <laughs> so we'll be figuring it out, but we have a lot of great advisors and um, investors who are kind of coaching us on that. So. One of the main things that we really tried to do as a company is just really focus on building a great product. That is our sole focus. We ignore everything else. We ignore the PR. We've had a bunch of people reach out to do newspaper interviews, magazine interviews, all this kind of stuff. We're just like, no, we just want to build product and we want our work to stand for itself. And it's a very different approach. Um, Cause we actually had this one VC firm come to us and say, Hey, uh, holy crap. Like they saw our hedge fund product. We were like, I was like, what What do you mean why holy crap they're like we thought you guys were all smoke <laughs> this is verbatim they said we thought you guys were all smoke and mirrors uh and I, I was like why um and he was like because you know everything in crypto is smoke and mirrors and you talk really fast and get excited i'm trying to talk slower for the podcast so <laughs> i usually talk much faster so um and he said but you guys built everything you said you would and way more and i was just like yeah like of course <laughs> what else would you do so i think the ideal thing would be we have a very minimal sales team and the product spreads by word of mouth because it's a really good product. And I think to our customers right now, it's essentially a no brainer. It's like, look, there's this thing that you hate doing and it's a lot of time and it's a lot of money and it's not core to your business and it's a distraction and you have no other solutions except try to deal with this thing yourself and wake up in the middle of night and fix it and have downtime, all this stuff. And we will handle all of that for you, so you never have to worry about it again, and and it's a fraction of the cost of what you're trying to do yourself, right? So it's almost like there's this. It's almost like there's this. We haven't needed a sales team, and kind of similar for our hedge fund project, we didn't need a sales team, right? So, I think the ideal path forward as we grow is we just continue focus on just building a really great product, and of course, like. Eventually, having those things do accelerate that growth. But right now, um, the industry is still early. Things are maturing. Um, and as things mature, like we want our engineering team and uh, our founders also to kind of be involved in that product discovery. And the sales process is really more of like a product discovery process where we understand how to develop the best products for our customers. And that's something that we're not like... Really, And this kind of goes into more startup philosophy, but it's not something that we're like super itching to just toss out into someone else. It's we feel like that's a core competency. And after building what, like Joe and I together have built like 14 products um, in uh, people, products that millions of people have used. And that's kind of been one of the secrets for how we build uh, repeat co- uh, consumer products that people love.
0: Mm-hmm. Every great br- uh, business, you know, if it is a truly a great business opportunity, you're going to see other Entrants come into the market and steal market share. That's just how uh, economics and business kind of play out. Uh, how do you, how have you thought about building a moat around your current uh, node business, and you know what's to come from the node business? Kind of a tougher question.
1: Okay. Um, yeah, it's, that's a great question. Um, I think a couple. We have a couple. Couple ideas around that. Um, number one is. That. Well, I, I can't share, like, everything on the podcast, um, but a, cu- a couple things are, one, the market is um, is pretty early, so I think as we evolve, that'll change a lot. Um, right now... The, one of the core competencies is that we are able to offer this infrastructure at a fraction of the cost that anybody else can, because of the deep technology that we have. Um, and our, our team, again, is like AI and machine learning and distributed systems from Stanford and MIT, and we're able to build this stuff at a fraction of the cost. So we will offer it at a much lower cost than any any other real business. Like, so Infura is like funded by consensus, so they're just eating like tens of hundreds of millions of dollars. So that's a little bit different. But um, So that's one. The second thing is we plan to offer, as Joe was talking about earlier, a suite of higher level tools that Ethereum doesn't offer right now that will basically only be available through us, but will make development very, very, very easy to do, which is the kind of tools that have enabled us to iterate so quickly on our hedge fund product. And we believe that that... I don't think of it as like lock-in in in a bad way, but it'll help developers accelerate their development and save time and save money uh, in a way that's not possible without our platform. So those are kind of like some of the main, uh, the main things. And I think at the end of the day, it's like, you know, you just got to build a better product than other people and provide more value to people at a cheaper cost. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of what we're always focused on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And also we run very, very, very lean compared to um, other companies. So we've, uh, when people try to buy us, I was like, why don't you buy this other company that's like 90 people? And they were like, oh, your tech is way better than theirs and you're a fraction of the number of people. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've heard you guys have uh, great investors. Uh, I don't know uh, exactly the roster or anything. I'm not even sure if you're able to mention anything, but how do you go about uh, raising money? Who are the investors, if you can't mention any, that are backing you right now? And with this iteration of... Uh, the new
1: sort of product, if you will, are you going to go out to market
0: and and raise more money?
1: Yeah, um, that's a great question all around. Um, Unfortunately, we have not announced our investors publicly, uh, but I can give you kind of like a hint of some of our... So we have been very, very fortunate. Joe and I, again, we feel like super blessed to... be surrounded by awesome people, both our team and our investors and advisors. So we have a lot of uh, extremely high powered people in finance, in technology. So a lot of founders of multi multi-billion dollar companies. Um, Stanford University also invested uh, in us. Um, and we have uh, a lot a lot of people finance, entertainment, um, technology and just kind of like both on the executive founding side and also on the very operational people who have scaled companies like Facebook and Dropbox and and like that from very, very small, the earliest people on the team to like massive hundreds of billions of dollars companies. So in terms of, so that's, that's kind of like our investor base right now. Um, we have had a lot of people approach about... Uh, It's kind of been this constant thing where we've had a lot of people approach, but I think right now uh, We're in like a massive growth phase. So we will we are kind of just about to start entertaining conversations about that the um, As to advice on investing again, like we've been in a very fortunate position uh, where all the times when we've raised money it's been because it's been inbound Um, and I think that I have a lot of I have a lot of thoughts, and this is like a two-hour conversation or three-hour conversation about how founders should go about and fundraise. And if anybody has questions, I'm happy to help. And Joe and I are happy to help. We coach a bunch of people fundraising, so feel free to reach out to Joe. My email is just Nikhil N I K I L at AlchemyInsights.io. Uh, feel free to reach out. Happy to talk through that. I think in general, there's a couple of rules around fundraising. Number one is I think at the end of the day, it's like there's kind of two main factors of fundraising. One is kind of the substance of what you actually have, and it, if you have a great substance, you don't need that, but if you have great substance, like a great product and people using it, then it just becomes super easy to do. But it's actually, that's actually not that necessary for a great fundraise because fundraising is not about, contrary to popular, belief, fundraising is not really about metrics or kind of like, you know, objective fact. It's all about psychology and it's all about kind of FOMO and in, in generating Uh, excitement that you have the potential to be something big because the way that VCs work is that basically you think when you think about their portfolio it's roughly like this like logarithmic scale where they where they assume that out of 10 investments eight of them or seven of them are gonna die right two of them are gonna like maybe return eve break even but then their whole goal is we need to find that one investment that's going to return the entire fund like 10x or 100x. They need to find that one Uber or the one Facebook or the one whatever it is, right? So as a founder, if you're trying to raise money, the all like the main thing you need to do, and this is kind of more applies to the early stage rounds like the C, the Series A, like later on it becomes more metrics driven, of course, but the main thing you need to do is convince and show other people that you have the chance at becoming that company. Not that no one knows that you're going to become Facebook or Google, right? But if you need to convince people that you have that chance because every VC has that horror story. Everyone has this, right? Of how they turned down Mark Zuckerberg or Evan Spiegel or Travis Kalanick. Like everyone has that story and like they don't want to be that guy who fucked up and am I allowed to say that? Yeah. Sorry. Um, <laughs> and lost the firm like $50 billion, right? Or whatever it is. So so the the idea there is... Again, it's a lot around psychology, we're all on FOMO, and there's a lot of like stuff, which is a whole nother conversation, but happy to talk about that more in detail if it's interesting, or uh, people can reach out to me, and I'm happy to talk through that about fundraising. But I think the main thing I do is like the number one piece of advice is, talk- before you go fundraise, talk to other people who have done it well, because there's so much that you don't know. That I- we didn't know. So much that we didn't know, and we had like literally some of the best people in the world coach us and train us personally, and it was invaluable for us. So very, mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. grateful for that. You
0: know, just working on the same crypto floor as you, I've noticed that your team is always hanging out, chatting with each other. You guys have like a really awesome company culture. You literally eat lunch together every day. You have stand-ups together, uh, you know, I don't want to say all the time, but (laughs) (laughs) we just stand around and hang out all the time. Yeah, you know, it looks like very productive meetings on an early Monday. (laughs) Uh, And then you're late here on Friday night, just also just hanging out with each other or just getting really excited about uh, product. How have you fostered such, such a great, uh, company culture, uh, internally?
1: Yeah,
2: I, I think like, I think at the end of it, a big part of it is, uh, is like all of us really enjoy what we do. And we also really enjoy the team that we have. I think like we've been super fortunate to be able to work with like some of our friends or people we know really well, or friends have basically in- introduced people to us and referred people to us. And I think we have, uh, we've always had a really, really, high bar for hiring not just not just on sort of like you know like the technical side but also just thinking through like would we enjoy working with this person would we hang out with this person because i think at the end of the day uh at the end of the day like you're going to be spending more time with the people you work with than you know your significant other or your family so like you better enjoy working with them and i think one of the great blessings of uh of being in a startup in a small company is you get to pick exactly who you want to work with if you go join a big company you're not going to you know, like you don't get to pick who your team is; you just kind of get plugged into a team. But with us, I think Nikhil and I have been super fortunate to be able to handpick everybody that uh, that we work with today. And I think, uh, I think what that ends up looking like is like at least for us, it's a group of people that you know really enjoy coming into work, really enjoy working with each other, but also just at the end of the day, really enjoy hanging out with each other.
1: Yeah, and I just want to add to what Joe said. I think. We're super blessed. Uh, I, I feel very blessed personally to get to work with Joe and our team. And I think that it's it's like uh, you don't want to compromise in any aspect, uh, either the talent or the culture side, but definitely like not on the culture side because it's just we've seen in a lot of other companies how like one person can change the whole dynamic. So we're super, super, super picky. Um, I mean, even on the engineering side, we're very, very picky. But on the culture side, it like – for us if any person in the company is not excited about someone it's like a no go. So we we want everyone to be like, you know, would you come and hang out with this person and have a blast on the weekend and are these people you want to be around all the time? So that's that's something that's just very personal. I mean, it's it's also like there's a flip side to that. There's been times when we like desperately needed people we were growing so fast and we waited like many months until we found the right person and could mm-hmm. we have grown the company faster absolutely but would it have a better long-term outcome probably not so at least in our view this is what the trade-off we want to make so i don't, I don't make it seem like there's you know there's only upside of doing this there is downside a lot of times you need people and you you don't find the right person uh and we invest a lot of time in recruiting yeah so. it's definitely a trade-off
0: absolutely i think that's a great note to end on uh Well, thanks so much for joining, Nikhil and Joe. Where can people get in touch with you or read about Alchemy?
1: Yeah. um, First off, thanks for having us. Uh, And um, our website is (laughs) thomasisthebest.com, (laughs) thomasfanclub.com. So our other website is. So for our developer platform, the website is alchemyapi.io, A-L-C-H-E-M-Y, A-P-I.io. And for the hedge fund product, our website is alchemyinsights.io, A-L-C-H-E-M-Y. I-N-S-I-G-H-T-S dot IO. That was impressive. I know. I was like, all right, spelling days, spelling days. <laughs> <laughs> so,
2: um, and you can also email us. with yeah. Joe and Nikhil at like Joe at and Nikhil at Alchemy
1: We're actually Joe and Nikhil at Alchemy. We share a T. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Fantastic.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, thanks again for joining us today to learn more about Alchemy Insights. Check out the show notes, including your podcast and remember to subscribe to get the latest episodes. If you have any questions or comments, reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or the Wire blog, whatever works for you. If you like this episode, share it with your friends and colleagues. Thanks again for listening.